this morning I have a little bit of trivia for you. I don't know how many people are baseball fans, and yes, I do recognize it is not baseball season. But I'm going to throw up a picture, um, maybe. Hey, there it is. All right, now, don't say the names because I want to see how many people know the two people in this picture. How many people know both of these people? Okay, how many people know at least one? Okay, who's the one? Babe Ruth. Everybody knows Babe Ruth, but who's the other dude? Lou Gehrig. Now, here's an interesting thing about Lou Gehrig. Look at these stats. This is Lou Gehrig's career. Played 17 seasons for the New York Yankees, all-star, seven consecutive years. Six World Series championships, first Major League Baseball player to have his jersey number retired. How cool is that? Anybody know what his number was? Oh, that's like deep trivia. It was four. All right. So uh, record for the most consecutive games played. That's 2,130, a record that stood until Cal Ripken Jr. broke it in the 90s. This was back in the 30s. That's amazing. That, that, that endurance of his it, uh, earned him the nickname the Iron Horse. Now, now you know who he is, Lou Gehrig, but are these stats what we remember him for? What do we remember him for? Exactly, yeah. So Lou Gehrig's disease, or ALS, uh, aomyotrophic lateral sclerosis, say that 10 times fast, but it basically, it, here's the way that this works. It attacks the nervous system. If you look at the highly complex diagram here that I stole off of Google, you can see that the motor neurons don't get the signal from the nervous system. And when the motor neurons don't get the signal from the nervous system, the muscle atrophies. Now, it's not just muscle like muscle. It's every muscle, voluntary or involuntary. So patients that suffer this lose the ability to have a coordinated body. Uh, they lose the ability to speak. They have trouble swallowing and eventually have trouble breathing. It affects everything in the system. Now, think about this for just a second. This fascinates me because we used to target systems, right? They're a very complex system like a body. If I wanted to take that complex system down, I could uh, target one arm, and then I could come back and target another arm, and then I'd have to get that hand and then, and then the leg. And then, or I could just do one thing and affect the entire system. Which is smarter? The one thing. Right? We call that a center of gravity and targeting. So what I do is I look for that one thing that I can do that's going to take down that whole system. In this case, it's the nervous system. Now, Bill, why the physiological lecture? Because I think there is an ALS of the spiritual world. Now th think about this for a second. You've seen relationships that appear for you two strong, healthy people, but somehow that relationship atrophies. And, and, and it doesn't work anymore. You've maybe been a part of organizations where strong individuals, everything's going well, but then there's this atrophy that happens. And it's sometimes gradual, sometimes swift, but it just falls apart. And I think there is a, an enemy who deliberately targets the one thing that will weaken the body of Christ. And I've identified the disease. It's ALS, absent love syndrome. Because if I can take away love, if I'm the enemy and I can take away love from an organization that is the body of Christ, everything will atrophy. And think about the ramifications of that. The body of Christ atrophies. We're no longer coordinated. You can see this in the Methodist church right now if you're following the news. It's not just the Methodist church, by the way. It's church everywhere. Anybody know how many denominations there are out there today? I don't know. I can't keep up. It's like a billion. 
But every time there's a little division, there's separation, separation, separation. If I'm the enemy, I'm going, yes, separate. Absolutely, you'll separate. And if I can take love in that process, not only can I separate, but I can begin to impact the body of Christ so that it no longer functions like it should. I can begin to take away the words that they would speak of hope. I can begin to take away their very breath, the breath of life that God put in their nostrils, the breath of life that is the Spirit of God. If I can do that, I can make the body look pathetic. And who would want to be a part of a body like that? If I'm the enemy, I'm rejoicing in the absent love syndrome. And this is why we want to remember. Now, here's another Yankee. Anybody know who this is? If you got good eyesight, his name's on the quote. But it's Leon Brown. How many people know Leon Brown? Yeah, he played one year, so that's why. <laughs> it was way back when. But he's not known for his baseball. He's, he's known for what he did in the community afterwards. He coached baseball for years. He was a community activist. And this is the one thing he says. A lack of love for is the cause for most problems in life. When love is missing, nothing can flourish. Only pain thrives. See, Leon was not necessarily a religious man, but Leon speaks truth. And God's truth is God's truth no matter where it comes from. So Leon is on to something. Leon is on to the absent love syndrome. And I think there's something that we can learn from that today. So let's take a look at what uh, God knows and what Paul knows. God knows that love is the most important thing. God knows that that's a center of gravity. That's why almost everything that God says has love in it. Jesus was asked, what's the first and greatest commandment? What was the answer? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's that word again. And the second is just like it. What is it? Love neighbor like yourself. There's that word again. It must be important to God. It's also important to Paul because in Colossians 3.14, he says this, above all these. Now, if you look at this text just before Colossians 3.14, he's writing to the church, at, uh, the Colossian church, and they're having some problems. And he is saying, look, all these traits, and he goes through a whole list. You can read the, the whole list yourself. He goes through all these traits. And at the end of that, he says, but above all. That means primo, most important, above everything else, put on love. And why? It binds everything together in perfect harmony. Perfect harmony. That's what God's body is wanting. Perfect harmony doesn't mean perfect without flaw. Perfect means mature, complete, ability to absorb the blows of the world, the blows of uh, medical diagnosis, the blows of relational troubles, the blows of everything, and still represent a mature harmony to the world around us. That's God's ultimate desire. I think it's a pretty good one. Um, now, how do we do this? I know you're asking, okay, how, how do I do that kind of love? Because that's not what I see in the world, and, and you're right. So Paul has more to say about this. In 1 Corinthians 13, if you want to follow along the home game, we're going to be delving into verses 4 through 7. This is a very familiar verse, but what you may not know, this verse is always read at weddings, right? Have you never have you been to a wedding that this hasn't been read, right? It's always read at weddings. But you know, it was not written for weddings. It was written to the church, the Colossian church, as a way to get along with the community. So let's dive into this a little bit. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, 
It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And the next verse after it, I threw on there in verse 8, love never fails. That sounds pretty good. But how do we live that? How do we embody that? See, that's where it gets tough. Pretty easy to see, pretty tough to do. And I know we've all been there. I get it. So one of the things that you can try, and you've probably heard this a million times before, if you want to practice this, is to put your name in where it says love. How many people have heard of that before? Pretty handy, handy technique. So, for example, Bill is patient. Bill is kind. Bill does not envy, which, none of which is true. Um, Bill <laughs> does not You get the idea, right? So you can put your name in there, and then that, that's cool. But sometimes it, it's just easy to pass over that. What if we put my name in there and put the opposite in there? Check this out. Bill is not patient. Bill is not kind. Bill envies and boasts and is proud. That's actually more truthful than the other version, if I'm being honest. Bill is self-centered, easily angered. He keeps score. (laughs) Bill delights in evil but does not rejoice with the truth. Bill never protects, never trusts, never hopes, never perseveres. Bill never wins. That's a little more impactful. That kind of hurts. But in my case, it's more true than the other version, if I'm being honest. Why do I bring this up? Because we, the people of God, have a wonderful opportunity. As we look at all the division and all the stuff going on, look at the politics right now. I'm not going to go into that, uh, but you, you know what I'm talking about. Look at the effects of COVID, the division in this nation. Everything that's out there is divisive. Where's the unifying voice? I'll tell you where it is. It's the body of Christ. That's the unifying voice. That's the whole reason that Jesus invites us into this process. It's the whole reason that he says, uh, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength in your neighbor as yourself. It's the whole reason Paul says, above all things, put on love, because that is where perfect mature harmony comes from church we have an opportunity there's a need in the world and we have an opportunity to be a part of this so we have to practice so let me give you a couple of ideas uh if if you ever get to the point where absent love syndrome the the sclerosis in als uh, let me back up just a second the sclerosis in als is a hardening or a scarring And, and the tragic part of that disease is as the hardening and scarring happens even if the signal is sent, it can't get through. It's too hard, it's too scarred, and it just can't get through to the muscles where it needs to get. But there's this magic thing when it comes to spiritual ALS called forgiveness. Forgiveness is like hitting the reset button. Forgiveness opens up those channels that were scarred once and no longer receive the signal to receive the signal in full again. Forgiveness allows that signal of love to flow through the body of Christ and represent to the world what can be. Forgiveness is not easy. Uh, Forgiveness is very hard. But let me give you a couple of ideas that we can practice practically to see if we can get this to work. The first one I would recommend is take uh, the the cure. (laughs) The cure for ALS is AALS. Above all, love syndrome. 
not absent love syndrome, but above all love syndrome. That's what I would like to, to be guilty of, if you will. A couple things that you can do. Uh, take 1 Corinthians 4 through 7. Write it out. I, and I recommend write it out. Don't just copy and paste because there's something magic about making your hand write the words. At least for me, they tend to stick better. I still write, handwrite sermon notes for, for the same reason. It just sticks with me better. Tape it to your mirror. Uh, tape it to the dashboard of your car, wherever you're going to spend a lot of time that you'll see it every day so that you can review four through seven. Put your name in there if you want. Put your name in the opposite, whatever works for you. But reflect on that. Make that the first thing you see in the morning and the last thing you see at night. The first thing I see in the morning sets my, my temperature for the day. I'm going to take advantage to do these things, to be patient, to be kind, to not boast, to not be proud. At the end of the day, come back and review the day. It's like a debrief. So, and don't beat yourself up about this. We're human, okay? So, oh, man, I blew that chance to do that. Oh, I must be a terrible person. Or you could say, yeah, I blew that chance to do that. What can I learn from that and do it differently next time? That's what I'd rather have us do because that's more constructive and useful, by the way. So first thing in the morning sets the tone. Last thing at night debriefs the day and lets you look for opportunities where maybe tomorrow I'll do a better job at this. And where I fail, I will rely on forgiveness because that's the way the body of Christ works. It's the anti-sclerosis in this whole process. The other thing that you can do is to practice forgiveness. Now, here's the funny thing about forgiveness. In order to practice forgiveness, you have to be in a situation that requires forgiveness. In other words, you live in a messy world. We all live in a messy world, do we not? Uh, I can't tell you how many times I have been the cause of someone needing to forgive me. So don't be afraid of those situations. Use them to delve into what God has for us. As we forgive one another, as we reestablish those channels of love, as the body gets nourished in the perfect love that brings together harmony, we will be a light to the world. We will be a place where life is different. And that's what the world needs as I look at it. The um, other thing that you can do now, forgiveness is a huge topic, right? So you can Google on wordserve.org. You can Google the word forgive, and you will see a sermon series that goes all the way. I listened to it yesterday just out of nostalgia. Went back to 2013. We did a sermon series. <laughs> I didn't make up the, the sermon series. It's called the F word, right? So the forgiveness, forgiveness. And there's three sermons in that sermon series that talks all about the process of forgiveness. So I'm not going to go into that, but I would encourage you to go onto the website and look back. Uh, just, again, search the word forgive, and it'll, it'll pop all those sermons if you want more information on that particular thing. But that is uh, a good place to start. The cure, like I said, above all love syndrome, because that's what binds everything in perfect harmony. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Bill, this is too hard. You don't understand. I've been betrayed by a very close friend, someone who is near and dear to me, someone who I poured my life into, whether that's a relationship at home, a relationship with a coworker, a relationship in an extended family. It was close, it was personal, and it was betrayal. It's too hard. And you know what Jesus would say? I washed the feet of 12 disciples, one of which was named Judas, knowing that in a matter of hours he would betray me. It's not too hard. 
So, okay, well, maybe uh, you got me there. Okay, but, but this world, this world is too cruel. It's too violent. It's too unfair, unjust. I don't want anything to do with this world. And you know what Jesus would answer? As he was being crucified, after being tortured, after a kangaroo court that was the most unjust court in the, in the history of the world, he says this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's not too hard, but man, is it hard. And if we are going to be Jesus' followers in earnest, then we need to follow Jesus' lead. No matter if we wash the feet of the one that we know will betray us, no matter if the world is so cruel and violent that we want nothing to do with it, forgive them, Father. We don't know what we're doing. There's grace there, and it is not too hard, but it's not easy. And it comes together better when we do it as a body of Christ. Today is, of all days, the day when we can talk about unity because it's Communion Sunday. The very word communion has the word union in it. Co, together, union, one, out of many, one. This is the day that we talk about unity. In the Methodist Church, there is a prayer of confession. And God thinks this is pretty important, this confession thing. He says, if you're going to come to the altar before you come and receive communion, if you have something against your brother or sister, lay it down. Go back to them. Make that right before you come into his presence. And so one of the common things in the Methodist liturgy, which we normally don't do because we like to be efficient and quick, is this prayer of confession. I'm going to throw it up. Oh, uh, I had one other picture first. <laughs> I have to share the unity picture because here's the thing. We can stand together and represent the body of Christ, or we can stand separately and atrophy. That's the choice. But this prayer of confession is a great place to start. Let me throw it up, and uh, you can read it. I'm going to give you time to read it because I'm going to ask us to pray it aloud together. And if you're not down with that, that's okay. But I want you to understand what it is that we're praying. So take a second, read it for yourself. This is my prayer this morning, and I'm going to pray it out loud. And if you would like to pray out loud with me, I encourage you to do that. If there's some part of this prayer that you cannot pray out loud this morning, that's okay. Make it right with God. This is the time to give it to him. But ultimately, the goal is to come together as one, as the body of Christ. So will you pray with me? Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear this good news. We are forgiven through Jesus Christ and his gift of the cross. We are forgiven indeed.